This is SEMO, where we help you see more. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the SEMO podcast. I am here with Chanel Kroll, who is the Director of Representation at ICD Worldwide. Some of you may remember um, when we spoke with Emma Gregson, um, Managing Director at ICD Worldwide. Um, do listen to that episode if you want to hear a bit more about the overall workings of the company. But I thought today it'd be absolutely amazing to speak with Chanel to have do more of a deep dive into representation, talent, influence and all of that. So, hello, Chanel. How are hello. you? Hello. I'm very good, thank you. So, the audience can't see, but Chanel's wearing the most beautiful, <laughs> bright blue dress, just for the SEMO podcast. Just, just for you, Alex. Did you think yeah. it was a video podcast? I did, no. I know. I've had hair and makeup. The glam, <laughs> glam squad came in earlier. All the glam. Um, thanks so much for being on. Uh, have you had a good week so far? I have. I've had a very good week. It's been a short week, hasn't it? Yeah, because we've had yeah. Easter. Do you have a nice long weekend? Oh, or? it was so nice. It was so nice just being in the sun. I think it just changes everyone's energy. Yeah. You know, everyone's come back into the office feeling completely refreshed and relaxed and such a nice mood just to kind of be outside, I think, for like four days. It's been yeah. really lovely. Well, that's it. And for, for everyone listening, this is recorded after the long weekend that we have here in London. So the weather was pretty beautiful and sunny, uh, not something that we get a lot here. So <laughs> I think everyone had a great break. Cool. Well, welcome to see my podcast. We're now going to go into the usual icebreakers. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so you own a restaurant. What is the cuisine? Oh, um, Italian. Good answer. I'm quarter Italian. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, look, you look Italian. <laughs> Room, desk and car. Which do you clean first? Um, desk. Desk and room. Can I say both? No, because you oh, can desk. be... Unless your desk is in your room, perhaps. No, that would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a ticket to go anywhere in the world right now. Where would you go? Costa Rica. Yeah, I want to go there too. Yeah, I've never been. And you can do Costa Rica and Nicaragua um, may, as well. I can't say that word. No, neither can I. Nicaragua. Nicaragua. <laughs> <laughs> but it, they both look amazing. Like proper, or maybe Cuba. Yeah, because Cuba that's, looks good. Before it, gets, before it changes, everyone yeah, says that. I recently that, yeah. watched the... Uh, Rolling Stones documentary where they do the first ever concert in Cuba. Oh, it's pretty cool. Wow, yeah. Only to be a rock star. Um, <laughs> and lastly, a fun fact about you. Um, a fun fact about me is that I worked in Tanzania for a summer. Wow. Um, which was actually a sunbed shop in Nazing. A sunbed shop in Tanzania? <laughs> no, no. Oh. It was called Tanzania. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm fully sunbed trained. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's so confusing then. I know. <laughs> cool. So, Director of Representation at ITB Worldwide. Um, for those that listen to Emma's, kind of know a lot more uh, a lot kind of about ITB Worldwide. But for, for the purpose of people that hadn't listened to that, just give us an overview of what is ITB Worldwide. ITB Worldwide is an agency that sits between it's like in a wonderful conduit between talent and influence and culture so we have two divisions um so we have the entertainment marketing division which helps brands partner with talent and whatever 
talent that might be, whether it's an A-list actress or whether it's a skateboarder or whether it's a chef, um, uh, to help them with their predominantly um, influencer campaigns, their digital campaigns. Um, and then we have the uh, representation and brand extension division, which is what I head up, where we represent creative individuals to help them with their build their careers and manage all of their projects and look for different opportunities and help them build brands essentially um and we also within that division have the brand division kind of team that work with brands such as Karl Lagerfeld and Orla Keeley to help them with their brand extension and kind of more traditional licensing fantastic and mm -hmm. You have quite an interesting story, so I'd love to learn a bit more about that. So tell us, how did you get to where you're at today and what's been your personal career journey? So I guess going way back to when I was really little and I was always obsessed with fashion and I always knew I wanted to be in fashion, but I knew really quickly, like really early on, that I wasn't going to be a designer. And I remember I was probably like in junior school I think I was quite young when Absolutely Fabulous, that show yeah. with um, Joanna Lumley and Jennifer Saunders came out and I was obsessed and um, found out what she did for a living because I knew she worked in fashion, but I, you know, I wasn't quite sure what that was. And so I thought for a really long time I would be a fashion PR because that's what she did. And uh, went to London College of Fashion, um, did a business in fashion like degree or whatever. And then I did loads of work experience to try and figure out exactly what I wanted to do and get some real experience. I was always kind of hungry to like get to the root of what it was I was looking for. Um, did loads of fashion um, interning at different PR agencies and realized really quickly that I didn't want to do that. I didn't really like the kind of... Um, ironically, the agency life. <laughs> uh, and then ended up, my first job was with Frost French, which was Sadie Frost and Jemima's French's, um, at the time, lingerie brand. And I went and I interned for them. Um, and I had, that was, then I, that turned into my first job and I was like their PA and studio manager and like did everything, did like production in the factory, did sales in Paris. It was amazing. I think I was 19 and it was literally like absolutely fabulous. It was like living the actual life. Um, and I loved it and I learned a lot. And then after about three years, I went and started doing some freelancing for different designers. Um, so working with um, designers when it was around showtime, which is a really busy time. And I would go in and kind of act as, again, like a PA and a studio manager and help coordinate between the production houses and the designer and make sure that they were fulfilling any like sponsorship contractual obligations and just kind of generally keeping on top of things. And at the same time, I was in Tanzania um, doing my part-time sunbed <laughs> job. <laughs> and then I met through Giles Deacon, who I was working with, wonderful, wonderful man. I met Katie Baggett and she was an agent and um, she was looking for an assistant and I needed a full-time gig at that time because I think I was like 21, 22. And um, I wasn't interested in being an agent at all. But I met her because I, you know, needed the cash and I absolutely loved her. I just thought she was amazing and from day one just kind of wanted to work with her. Um, and I also really quickly, I had like a preconceived idea as to what an agent was 
at that time. Entourage wasn't out yet, but you know, it was that vibe. And when I met her, I realized that there, she worked very differently to how I thought agents worked. And she was much more of a manager and like a business partner to her artists. And at the time that I went to work with her, she only had maybe four clients. So she had Jürgen Teller, a photographer, Katie Hillier, who's the accessories designer, um, and Fergus Henderson, who's a chef at um, St. John here in London, a founder of. And, um, and so I went and it was just me and her and we really got involved in every aspect of what our clients did. So whether it was an exhibition or whether it was a consultancy contract or whether it was editorial or, you know, things that were non-commercial, non-fee paying, we were involved in every aspect and really, really worked towards building their careers and was really involved in, you know, interviewing their staff and, you know, all of that sort of thing. Um, and I really, really loved it. It felt really substantial and it felt like we were really part of the process rather than being kind of this disjointed bookings system. Um, so I worked with her for about um, six years. And then one day, she was 39 um, at the time. And one day I came into the office and she had fallen asleep the night before and she never woke up. She died really, really suddenly, really, really tragically. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So sad. It was it was just devastating. <clears throat> we were so close and you know, we and the clients were such a close family unit as well. So it really, really impacted all of us. And um uh she died of like a really rare condition called SUDEP, which is sudden unexpected death through epilepsy. And um uh, her dad came in the next day and said that if Katie had said that if anything should ever happen to her, that she wanted me to continue running the agency, which was massive. And wow, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty big deal. And it was such a big kind of deal. Grief and everything. Yeah, and kind of, um, you know, in amongst all the grief, it was such a massive accolade that she would want me, she would trust me, you know, to run the agency. So I felt, you know, absolutely like I had to step up and do that for her. And for all the clients, and we and I did that, and we did that for another just under a year, I think. And then at that point, I realised, you know, that I'd done a good job, and I'd actually been able to do it, and I wanted to continue, and that I definitely that's what I wanted to do. But at the same time, um, you know, the agency was still called Katie Bagger Limited, and I felt like if I was going to do it, I needed to do it for myself and take on my own talent. Um, so I did that and I set up an agency called Hall London and I um, took some of the talent with me because at that time we also had Phoebe Philo. So Katie did Phoebe's deal for Celine, which was massive. And actually during that time that, that Katie was working on Phoebe's deal, um, which was a year long process, I actually um, luckily uh, ran the agency while she was doing that. So before she died, luckily I kind of had the the knowledge to continue doing it anyway so set up Hall London and I did that I went to my best friend Emma Greed who was the founder of ITB originally um and went to her and we'd always wanted to work together she'd founded ITB a couple of years before 
And we decided to do like that they would acquire Hall London and I would come into ITB and run like it would essentially be the representation division of ITB where we would represent all of the creative talent. Um, And that was in 2011. So I've been here eight years and here I am. And actually in February this year, I um, was promoted um, and the licensing division uh, merged with the representation division so it's now representation and brand extension and I'm the director of that bigger part of the pie which is very wow. nice what a great story and and so you just mentioned then uh, do they relate like why why merge representation licensing yeah they do I think um because the types of talent that we represent you know we're we're essentially building brands you know whether it's a physical brand that one of our talent has whether it's just them as a personality like a brand within themselves there's much more you know it's more about kind of um partnerships and product and that's kind of what licensing were doing anyway the traditional licensing model has really changed because retail is so bad so Um, licensing has become a lot more about retail partnerships and other routes to distribution and other routes to market as opposed to kind of just slapping on a print to something and like churning it out so we were working a lot more closely with the licensing team anyway and doing a lot of intros to you know for example if they did um, we introed them to this massive Thai retailer who are now doing a lot of those kind of designer collaborations um, in Thailand and so we were working really complementary with each other and for me now it just means that for my talent instead of me having to kind of pitch internally to the licensing team to be able to kind of do a collection for you know a collection of candles or something um we're now all able to just kind of have that conversation together and hopefully moving forward, take on talent who span both that we can represent as individuals. And then also the brand extension team can help kind of build out product and, um, and distribution and things like that. Yeah. And you touched on something there, which I think is so true. And, and, And I'd say arguably a lot of brands don't see talent or influence in that way is that these people of influence mm-hmm. um whether they're creators or celebrity talent or whatever as you mentioned they are brands in themselves yeah and, and you know that's obviously something that itp does well is to help grow their yeah. brand and then ultimately <clears throat> you know traditional retailers or or brand partners they need to view these people of influence as yeah. brands and look at it as a traditional brand partnership rather than um you know advertisement yeah totally yeah they're not just you're not I don't think I think if you're looking as a brand to just stick someone's face on your campaign it's pretty outdated now and it's really you you know you have to look at it being a real partnership um as you say like the the I mean the level you know you're talking about they have that they all have something that they stand for Mm. and I think people the audience today kind of really sees that as well they see those alignments and they they see the ones that don't make sense and yeah um and you know it has to kind of work for everybody yeah and then i guess it makes sense obviously having licensing part of representation because then if you're helping mm-hmm. these people of influence talent grow their own brand then totally. you can ultimately help them yeah their own products and things yeah like that. yeah absolutely yeah do you think there's a bit of a gray area where it's like 
you know, I, I think a prominent figure is obviously Zoella, and then she's mm-hmm. kind of brand extending everything, you know, books, cookbooks, water bottles, everything. Do you think there's a point where, um, you know, someone could ultimately sell out, or is that part of ITB's yeah. kind of task to yes, guide their career definitely. and make sure they haven't got 20 products out all of a sudden? Yeah, got, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's we we pride ourselves on being extremely strategic. Yeah. So when we first take on a talent, we sit down and we we create like a physical deck around the talent in terms of, you know, what their who they are as a person, what their current positioning is, what their key um you know, what their experience is and therefore what their key value add is to a brand, uh, the different areas of interest. Um, we look at target partners that make sense and we proactively go out and we pitch specific projects to those specific target partners. And so, um, and you know, everything that we do, and there's obviously a lot of inbound that comes in as well. And everything that we choose to do has to be in line with this kind of trajectory that we're on. And also, you know, I think there are people that, you know, want to sell out and that's their goal and that's no bad thing either it's just about where you want to end up I you know and I think sometimes I think you know for me even if you have like 25 percent really managed you know you have so much inbound that and you say yes to everything even if you manage just a small part of that you can you're in you're you're owning your own career rather than just saying yes rather than just deciding on things that come in and saying yes to things that come in and no to a few things if you're actually going out there proactively you're taking control and you're shaping your path you know and shaping your career much easier than if you're just kind of sitting back waiting for things to come in Mm. or you know kind of dining out in the moment on everything like you say like if you're all of a sudden just like taking that moment um and doing everything you possibly can, then it's just a flash in the pan and there's no real longevity. Yeah, well, we're going to get, that's yeah, super interesting. And get, we'll get more into um, <laughs> kind of authentic storytelling and, and how that's evolving. But mm. um, I just want to talk a bit more about kind of the older ways of working. You'd mentioned kind of how that traditional retail model is not very good mm-hmm. or kind of died, arguably. Um, tell us a little bit more about like what it was like back then and how it's changed now and and, and what and what industry changes have you witnessed and, and why do you think? Oh, well, I think, um, you know, traditionally wholesale was a massive thing, right? So if you were a brand, we would always be looking for wholesale partners and that doesn't work anymore. There's a lot, there's obviously been a massive sh- shift in terms of direct-to-consumer, which is really important. And then that, and I think that has impacted like licensing and that has impacted um, retail partnerships in that way. Um, so a lot of the, funnily enough, because I represent a lot of design talent as well, like design consultants that work for different brands on different categories. And a lot of those a lot of brands are coming now to say that you know we're working on this new direct consumer sub brand and that's where we need help you know in terms of design consultancy so there's a lot more of that happening everywhere so I think that has kind of impacted um on on how we work and and especially on the licensing business I mean the licensing business I'll be honest I'm is a new thing for me so I never worked on the old model yeah I just know um Gavin Foster who works with me on that who's always headed up the licensing division he was always really smart when he first came to ITB to take the licensing division over I don't know five years ago I think he's been here um 
he wor- he works backwards. So he finds the home for the product and then he works backwards um, so he gets the best kind of deal in terms of manufacturing. So if, you know, he'll go to, I don't know, whoever, retailer, and he'll find out what they need and then he'll work backwards and kind of fill that so he's kind of already got a guaranteed order, if that makes sense. Yeah, and kind of just to double up on that same type of topic, um, what change have you seen agency side to adapt to brands changing needs? And what do you think agencies need to do in order to retain strong relationships with brands and stay relevant? Um, I think, I mean, we've always we've always worked closely with brands directly. Um, so, and I think what I have seen the biggest change in is them actively working with creatives from conception so whereas before they would have an idea kind of pretty much already laid out and they would come and say you know will Hanalee be the face of so and so or um you know we're working on this idea and we want her to come in and style a shoot like now they come and it's it's much more us working with them to define like what the concept should be because I think what they get then is they get they get fresher content from the artists that they're working with from the talent that they're working with and I would say that that's um for us is always the ideal scenario if we can be involved from the very start of a campaign um because then you can really adapt the concept in terms of what the what is true to the artist and I guess we'll talk about authenticity but that is quite a big part of it so um so for us, it's just really having great relationships. You know, whether it's with a brand directly or whether it is with an agency, it's kind of, for us, it's always better to start the conversation as early as possible rather mm. than just kind of tagging on to their idea. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and looking at how, you know, <clears throat> t- talent has changed, obviously technology has democratised pretty much every single industry. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's what I find interesting is like how talent you know a d- traditional celebrity talent you know this was a big business you guys have it thought out you know but then you're seeing a lot of these big you know influencer platforms crop up now with yeah. you know the likes of instagram and stuff yeah was there not i mean like when i speak to someone like you i'm like wow you really have it thought out and everything and for me to be honest really really kind of getting transparency on these people of influence or these kind of creators that have you know thousands um millions of followers on instagram mm. that it's kind of topical everyone knows about it but i think arguably you're kind of behind the scenes and yeah when this kind of digital wave came was kind of the traditional talent businesses obviously you guys have evolved and adopted but mm. but you seem to have a lot more kind of knowledge and crux on kind of brand building and, and people compared to like an, an influencer platform that just has a load of influencers signed up and then it's just matchmaking them with brands. It's yeah. I just find it like it's just crazy because it's yeah. so it's such a messy world. And yeah. Then speaking to yourself and Emma, like the strategy involved, you know. Yeah. Um yeah. not brand, you know, putting a brief in an automated yeah. platform, here's five influencers. So totally. And I think that comes from um us from, you know, uh eight years ago having the talent sit within the agency because what it gives us is human insight it gives us you know for for myself running the representation division I have insight from the entertainment marketing division in terms of like what the brands are looking for what the marketing spends are what the goals are 
and they and they similarly have insight from us in terms of what the talent want and what how the talent are evolving and so it gives us it's not you know data is extremely important but it you have to have that um human connection and that emotional connection and you have to and I think we've just been um because we've always been strategic on both sides with the talent and with the brands and we've been able to evolve with that um and kind of stay ahead of that I guess yeah and back when you were working with Katie I mean if Mm. you were doing campaigns I mean you what was the KPI was it just based Uh, on like sales or like how many you know how much press you got in a in the print or compared to now it's like metrics yeah oh god i mean back then i mean honestly i think one of the best rules i learned from katie baggett was that you can make the rules up so i mean that was a really nice time because you know when i was working with jürgen teller he crossed he was like the first photographer that really crossed the boundaries between commercial and art you know there were no there was no distinction between the two so he would shoot the Mark Jacobs campaigns and he would it would just be a completely collaborative um creative concept between him and Mark and they would shoot interesting people and it wasn't really about hitting any numbers or metrics or anything like that it was just about creating amazing impactful visuals and um and so it was, I think because it was always true to the art, it worked really, really well. Again, it was always really authentic to the artist and also to the brand, to who Mark was. So I think that worked really, really well. And I kind of, I learned that piece of integrity working there. Katie was really, you know, she had the integrity of our artists at the forefront of everything that we did. And I think that has kind of helped in a way, Mm. if that makes sense. Because um, when you don't follow set rules so much, especially when you're working with creatives, then you you evolve naturally anyway. And you kind of, you trail the blaze, if that's the word. Yeah. Blaze the trail. Um, Someone that I speak about a lot, um, which is kind of a topical with what we discuss here, at SEMO um, is Virgil Abloh and mm. and, our, and kind of I'd say one of the most prominent modern day polymaths mm-hmm. um, you know he was Kanye West creative director he was an architect a DJ a fashion designer um, and now menswear creative director for Louis Vuitton DJing at Coachella you're seeing a lot more of these types of talent um, why do you think Virgil's been so successful I mean was it just because he was Kanye West's best friend or because he's multi-skilled, um, you know. What I you think? think because he's multi-skilled, and I think I mean obviously I think being Kanye West's best friend is nice. You know, helps. Yeah. Right, because you're in the right places at the right yeah. time. You have the you have more exposure. Right. Um, but you can really blossom those multi-skilled. Totally. You yeah. Can, you're in the right environment to yeah. get noticed and exactly. pay on entire fashion, entire music. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Which is what we all do to a certain extent. Like even when I, you know, go back to like your own work experience, like you're trying to get your foot in the door for the exposure for you to be seen to be noticed. So I think that's just a bigger scale of that. But I think you ultimately you have to have the skills. You know, you have to have the um the credibility on your own to be able to stand on your own i think he absolutely does and i think it's really just about changing of the 
uh, of culture. Yeah. I, I just think people are more interested. I mean, I just also think, you know, we're all trying to do so many things. I mean, even when you look at yourself, like you've got so many things going on, yeah. right? Because we want to be busy and there's so much stuff there's so many things to look at there's instagram like it's a constant feed <laughs> yeah, so, true. so i think like people like virgil are just playing not purposefully playing but they're just it's the same thing like he to do so many different things is more interesting because our attention span is much smaller i think yeah if that makes sense yeah and i would say also i think just <clears throat> everything's evolved you know everything is evolving yeah it's not Go to school, go to uni, totally. get the nine to five, yeah. get married, get the golden handshake, yeah. get your pension, die. Like Dope. I think oh, no. <laughs> it's it's changing where you know you can learn the violin on YouTube, you can totally. DJ, you yeah. can do your you know your day job, but then you could be an artist. Yeah, it's a really so really I think now it's more celebrated. Time. Whereas before yeah. it was kind of frowned upon. But I mean, for you with the talent that you have or what you're seeing in the industry, like you know, obviously Virgil is kind of a, a prime example, mm. but you seeing more of this i mean yeah you could say that historically actors actresses you know they <clears throat> did that and then they mm. could have been a race car car driver or mm -hmm. something like that but now i mean you're starting to see a lot more um obviously you can watch everyone you know, through your instagram but yeah mm. this multi-hyphenate mm. you know they want to be a model they want to be a dj mm. um and they want to do a podcast for, yeah yeah, yeah are you seeing that more and, and how yeah. do you manage that or do some people do too many things and yeah, I think for, for us, how we manage that is, again, going back to like what the trajectory is. So does it make sense to what we're doing? So um, for me, like the word broadcast is like a really important word because it's all about broadcasting. It's just about the platform that you broadcast on. So podcasts, for example, are, I guess, the newer thing that everyone's listening to. So then it makes sense if you... If you're doing an interview anyway, it makes sense to broadcast via a podcast. So I think for us, um, the multi-hyphenate thing is all good and fine as long as all of those multi-hyphenates make sense to who you are as the talent, who you are as the artist and where you're going. And it's going to be helpful. Otherwise, you just kind of splinter off and um, you start doing things that actually are not kind of natural aptitude. Is and not and really in there. a weird way, does that provide talent with greater revenue opportunities because they have like multiple things that they could you know apply brand partnerships yeah to. totally yeah. yeah totally smart yeah um so looking at authenticity mm. um i mean influencer so messy i think with emma we kind of defined like it's people of influence and what does that actually mean mm. but you know just looking at context here you know today i think this kind of digital influencer came out of nowhere everyone's kind of adopted it um there's not that much transparency in terms of you know where spend is actually going and things like that but looking at what people are talking about now it's i think consumers are bored of someone holding up a product and look at me by the sunscreen you know today brands need more content than ever um and one could say that a lot of these brands have become content factories with vanilla influencer campaigns. And if all brands are doing the same thing, how can we ultimately cut through the noise? Mm. Um, is the answer polymaths? Is it creator communities that are made up of multidisciplined people and creators? Mm. You know, DJ, fashion designers, photographers, etc. You know, mm -hmm. people like Nike, Adidas, they seem to be doing it well. So kind of what would you say around this? And, and uh, you know, when you're talking to brands, how are you guiding them to really cut through? 
I think it's for me um, about true collaboration. Yeah. So it's about whether it's the brand collaborating truly with the talent, like I said from the very beginning, um, or whether it's just about creating communities of of um, creatives, and then you're having, you know, you can have that multi hyphen approach, but you're using, you know, your network instead of you trying to do everything. I think it's more interesting and I think it's nicer to kind of share the platform sometimes with people that have different skill sets to you and see what comes out it's like going back to I don't know like the old days when you would kind of artists would kind of come together and share and um, collaborate together I think that's quite interesting and exciting rather than everyone trying to be like jack of all trades um so I I I like the idea and I and you see it a lot I guess with brands like they're trying to use various different types of influencers and skateboarders and chefs and um vets and you know like whoever it might be um I think the art of true collaboration is is um something that people can um believe in I guess it become I guess it's more authentic than someone trying to be something they're not yeah um yeah i completely agree um and do you think we'll get to a space though where everyone can do everything and there's kind of mass saturation like what is the differentiation i don't think we ca- i don't think you can i think well, the diff- promising good answer <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think you can i think um i think you know again it just ha- you have to just stay i think as long you can always evolve right so you have to stay true to who you are as long as you stay true to who you are you can evolve as a person you can evolve as an artist you can try different things and you can move into different areas as different mediums for your work but i think you know if you try to suddenly you know put on a different hat for a different campaign or you know, you try to do something that's not naturally for you. You know, like some people can't be in front of the of the camera. You know, like they just don't work. Um, you know, I think you have to really stay true to who you are, and that and that's when you separate the the wheat from the grass. I don't know what, the, what terminology yeah. is. <laughs> we'll go with say that. weeds from the flowers. Yeah. Um, because there's so much. There's so much noise. There's so many influencers. I think the people that have true skills and stay really true to who they are throughout um, will kind of come out on the top as the cream and then and the rest will kind of fall away. And and part of your strategy, mm. is it with um, kind of your talent? I mean, people can see straight through spikes in marketing activity mm-hmm. with brands. So like, are you always looking for like a longer relationship? Yes, definitely. When yeah. we're really like, I use the word flash in the pan a lot. Um, we really look for long-term partnerships um, because also because I think you can't, you know, it's hard to turn something around so quickly as well. Like if you want real meaningful engagement and you really want to make a change for a brand, you have to put the work in and and brands have to allow the time for that to happen. They have to invest in the, in the, in the money and it, they invest in the time. And so I think to have like a long-term um engagement is just better all round and i think it's more i think it's more believable we also like a lot of the time if a brand wants to you know put um 
one of our talents uh, names on their campaign a lot of the time we tend to do first of all we'll con- go in and consult under the radar to see if it's going to work and if it's a true partnership before we kind of go to that step how, how do you do that under the radar you, uh, we just do, do like it? a well we just go in and do like a, so if it's like a design partnership the talent will go in and do like a consultancy on design to see if it makes a difference and to see how they vibe with the team and and that it works before we then put the kind of big name on it like the public promotional name on it just because otherwise if you're going in um and doing one season and putting somebody's name on a capsule collection sometimes it just doesn't always kind of work that well yeah so i was going to ask you know on that um for artists and the design talent you know how important is their visual identity and how do you control that uh yeah it's really important and we again like we just control that from the from the beginning just to make sure that they're fully involved like none of my talent are just going to turn up and look at a bunch of dresses and say yeah i'll choose that one that one and that one and put my name on it like they all are they all have a real skill set you know whether it's a design skill set whether it's a marketing communications the amplification of a campaign like they they need to be able to come in and bring their skill set and and kind of own it creatively and i think brands are more open to that because as i said before i think brands are they're looking for constant content they're looking for authentic content and i think the authenticity only comes when you really um open it up to the creative to do what what they're good at yeah, and as if I'm right in saying, you're one of kind of the only agents in London that is championing design talent. Yeah. where's that come from? I think that just comes from so when I worked with Katie Bagger, um, Katie Hillier uh, was an access is an accessories designer, um, and I she was one of my first clients at Katie Bagger's um, agency. So she's obviously a design consultancy, um, and I still represent her now. Um, and she's amazing and has like a big team um, and has really built a, a name for herself and, and a consultancy business. And so um, because we always represented her, it's just natural that other designers would come and have their contracts negotiated um, by us because there's no one other than lawyers that do that. Um, and I think f- I've found that people enjoy coming to us to have their contracts negotiated in terms of design because it's not just like the contract terms that we look at it's the business that they're going into do they have the right setup do they have a product developer in-house do they you know we understand how critical path works we understand like the mechanics of the design process and I think that's really important when you're going into a business to have someone that's negotiating your behalf understand how it needs to work um understand how to protect you rather than just kind of the legal paperwork um, yeah, I guess traditionally that was all with kind of the big pr- Parisian fashion houses and yeah. then now seeing that more so with um, brands. Yeah, and also, you know, I work with a lot of headhunters that come and ask, you know, like, who do you think for this and who do you think for that? And and the and the role of that creative director changed, you know, it changed a few years ago. It's not somebody, it's not, you know, necessarily Raph Simmons anymore. It's someone like Virgil. It's So they're more interested to come to an agency like us when they know that we have non-traditional designers if that makes sense um creative consultants that can bring something new something fresh and um and um we just work we work um really closely with um with the brands to kind of identify who who the right person is is there any insight or stuff that's trending that 
you can see coming up you know future wise that people are asking you for that you think that might be the next big thing i guess people that are able to help amplify the brand as well as but is that just someone that's creative talent that comes along with a hundred thousand influencers or a million or is it yeah can be that can be that but it also can be someone who um like Giovanna Engelbert who I represent who's a creative consultant she was a stylist for many years and fashion um editor at Vogue Japan and at W Magazine and she has a huge following just under a million I think followers on Instagram um but she works with brands to help them with their creative concepts for campaigns whether it's for a launch or whether it's for Um, a special capsule collection but she's also really good at consulting on how to engage with the audience it's not just about the creative and the color and um, the the visual assets it's it's about what you do with those assets and how you engage with the audience that she's really good at Um, so and I see that more and more people that want people that have brands that want people that have a network that they can plug into um or that have the skills to be able to help them kind of amplify their own campaigns if that makes sense as well yeah and i wanted to ask like on a complete different spectrum from design creative talent looking at music partnerships Mm -hmm. they've been around for a long time um how how has that evolved like today compared to the everyday influencer Do, do you think it's more authentic to engage a music act or not yeah again it depends on um you know a creative is a creative i guess so i think it's authentic if it's the right um if it's the right audience so i you know yeah so i would say there's some brands that are looking to achieve critical mass and therefore they partner up with a stormzy or totally yeah a dua lipa you know Mm -hmm. or you know, and a lot of the major footballers. Mm. But what you're trying to, what you're starting to see, I think, is you know, brands wanting to be. You know, we talked about the vanilla influencer campaigns or vanilla advertising mm. campaigns. I think you're starting to see more brands get involved with. I don't know if niche is the right word, but mm. everyone's championing, especially in London, in kind of the amongst the agencies, it's this authentic narrative. And then mm. by partnering with, say, um, you know, a few influential but different types of talent across Mm. different i think that i feel personally it's a lot more authentic but i guess if you're coca-cola and you want to partner with a major music star then it's just a different yeah value objective you know what i mean yeah 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 it's always the battle i think for me because i obviously represent the more niche people um and I think, you know, yeah, those big brands like Coca-Cola are always going to want to go with like a mass name that, you know, my mom and my aunt know who that is on the TV and therefore, okay, we'll buy into that. But I think the audience is also just becoming smarter because we're, uh, we're exposed to a lot more behind the scenes now and we're exposed to, um, you know, even, you know, paid partnership um declarations on instagram i think the audience is a bit more wise to it now so i feel like those niche partnerships will become more and more prevalent just because that's what's needed and it's just what's more interesting as well and it's a question i ask um many people is there not a threat that major brands are taking subcultures into the mainstream i think that's always happened um over time i think it's a constant cycle um so i don't i don't feel such a threat to it because i think then then there'll be something else right 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that kind of that whole conversation around when you're at school, there's, mm. there's an indie band that you love that totally. then become on the top charts and then no one likes it. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, God, no. You, oh, you like the strokes now. Oh, you're so sad. It's like, it's that thing. So I think it just is a constant, the subcultures are a constant cycle and they'll come round and they'll come into the mainstream and then they'll go out again and then, be, then they'll become a subculture. Then they'll become cool again. You know, like I just, um, I think that's just a cycle that is ever evolving, ever changing. And how are you measuring success in your role? What are your metrics? Um, we met, so we have like quite a physical um, measurement where we kind of sit down and analyze constantly, review like, you know, that original deck that we started with, the plan that we started with kind of checking constantly in terms of like what we're fulfilling, where we've gone. You know, sometimes you kind of gone, you go down a different path um and you find success there and you kind of stay on that path a little bit so it's just a, it's just a human contact that we have with our talent constantly you know to check in where they are with things also um you know there are life changes that happen people have babies and you know want to have different priorities so we have to kind of constantly change the strategy change the um change the plan um i think success for us is about building those brands obviously making more money always like to make more money um for us and for our clients and um and I think being able to look back at like a year's worth of work for a client and feel proud of everything that they've done and feel like nothing they've done is against who they are they didn't feel like they had to say yes to anything they've still made good money you know building something that's substantial so not just financial then you're you're also looking at kind of like some kind of key KPIs objectives that you may set or little goals with the talent and then mm. after like the year you know do like a little report and be like this yeah. is what we achieved well I don't want their report ah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a verbal report a verbal report <laughs> um, no we do like a yeah we do like a six monthly thing and yeah it's a co- it's constant you have to yeah, have that well, constant, it's a constant it's a relationship isn't it it's yeah. a relationship it's not yeah. like let's check in we only, you know we don't have a lot of clients we, ha- we keep the roster small for a reason because we have to have that relationship and um, we have to we're like a partner to them so we have to kind of ebb and flow with them yeah um, and if I'm a brand and mm-hmm. I haven't worked with kind of big talent before what mm-hmm. would you recommend or what's the process um, I would say to st- you know have them join the conversation as early as possible as I said I think the more the talent can get involved creatively from the start and I'm not saying to completely dictate a brand's campaign but they all have really important insight um and there's such value to that 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 so many brands miss out on they come so late to the process that so much of what they could have been paying for for that especially creative talent like they have a real skill set and I think you need to be able to include them as early on as possible and therefore I think you need to give it time um and um yeah that's what I would say yeah and again it just reiterates what we were talking about in terms of authenticity I think yeah, yeah. You know, if you're having if you're designing I don't know a water bottle and you have an influence mm. or a creative influencer pushing it it's like well maybe you should have got them involved in the design process exactly yeah 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 what do you do outside of work we talked a lot about work but what are your hobbies what do you do when you're Ooh. not working my hobbies are my two children have a two-year-old and a five-year-old oh. and a husband bundles of joy bundles of absolute joy and <laughs> <laughs> um, so I you know I spend as much time with them as possible I travel a lot and I'm um, you know work full-time so um 
Uh, and I'm, you know, I love looking at different exhibitions. I'm going to one tonight at Japan House. Nice. Been to Japan nice. House? I've never been before. I'm actually going to the Warm Street Fabric. Oh, are you? Contemporary music art. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm really. I love. Um, I love nature. I think that's the thing that I've realized yeah. literally in the past year that me, being in the woods, like being in nature for me is just so inspiring. Yeah. And that's the thing I think for me and my team, you know, we are often the sounding board for our talent in terms of their creative ideas. And we have to have an opinion. We have to have a point of reference. And we're all in this job because we love creativity yeah. at the end of the day. So I think we just have to make sure we have time outside of the office to take things in, see new things, um, you know. And yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. One at nature. Yeah, something. I mean, I've just come back from a long weekend being in the middle of nowhere in Scotland, mm. and just to like, I think when you're in a city, there's a constant three walls around your peripheral vision. You know, it's mm. building, building, wall, wall, building, noise, mm. noise, mopeds. You know, yeah. so I think that white noise or that space to take time away from work. Mm. You know, whether it's kind of coming up with ideas or just to kind of reset the brain, as you yeah. mentioned at the beginning of this episode. You know, your whole team's yeah. refreshed because you've had a long weekend. Yeah, exactly. Taking the pauses. Using it for nature, not going to all the bank holiday parties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was probably just me. The rest of the team were probably <laughs> definitely somewhere else. Um, what are you curious about right oh, now? I'm curious about everything. That's like my biggest thing. That's why I'm in this job. And how can people find you on your social channels or ITB? Uh, yeah, itb-worldwide.com. We've got a new website coming out very soon. We'll be Exciting. out by the time this is out, I guess. Great. Well, sadly, we've come to the end of this episode now, Chanel. You've been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast can intrigue, inspire and provide some key tips and tricks for a lot of people. I would really appreciate your help to grow the community. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, then please send it their way. And if you can subscribe and leave a review, it would mean so much and it really supports the show. Thank you and see you next week.